And welcome to Light On, Light Through, Episode 63, Sotomayor versus the First Amendment, an interview with Avery and Lauren Doninger. Well, let me begin by giving you a little background as to why I'm so pleased to be able to present you with this interview. Back in May, shortly after it was announced that Sonia Sotomayor was on Barack Obama's shortlist to fill retiring Justice David Souter's seat on the U.S. Supreme Court, I received an email from Andy Thebalt. He is a First Amendment blogger who has a blog called The Cool Justice Report. And he alerted me to an important case that I had vaguely heard about in which Sonia Sotomayor played a very significant role. And the case involved Avery Doninger. And it involved what she did and what happened to her at Lewis Mills High School in Connecticut. While Avery was running for senior class secretary, she found reason to object to the school's cancellation of a jam fest musical event. And she characterized those in the school administration who scotched the event as, quote, douchebags, unquote, on her off-campus live journal blog. The school officials found out about this. Actually, months later, they took umbrage over it, and they prohibited Avery from running for class secretary, and then disregarded the plurality of votes she received anyway as a write-in candidate. Avery sued the school officials, and the federal district court in Connecticut supported the school. So, Avery appealed to the Second Circuit Court that listens to cases in New York City. And on this court, in fact, the lead judge on the court was Sonia Sotomayor. Here is what Sotomayor's court decided. First, they acknowledged the importance of the U.S. Supreme Court's 1969 Tinker decision, which held that students do not, quote, shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate, unquote. But then Sotomayor's court, it's a three-person court, proceeded to affirm the district courts, that is the lower court's ruling. That is, Sotomayor and her two colleague justices upheld the high school's right to punish Avery Doninger for her off-campus speech. The reasoning of the court, stated in its written opinion, was that schools have an obligation to impart to their students, quote, shared values, unquote, which included not only the importance of freedom of expression, but, quote, a proper respect for authority, unquote. Proper respect for authority. I couldn't help thinking, is this what our democratic society and freedom is based upon? Last time I checked, I thought our democracy and freedom were predicated on the principle that all people have a right to express their opinions, which certainly must include a disrespect for authority. If the actions by the authority, such as canceling a school event, such as a jam fest, are at issue. 
or as constitutional scholar and law professor Jonathan Turley put it about this decision last year, and this is a quote from Jonathan Turley's blog, the continual expansion of the authority of school officials over student speech teaches a foul lesson to these future citizens. I would prefer some obnoxious speech than teaching students that they must please government officials if they want special benefits or opportunities. End of quote from Jonathan Turley. Now, I think it's not exaggerating events to say that our society hangs in the balance with the appointment of Souter's replacement to the Supreme Court. A powerful corrective revolution is underway right now with Obama's election as president and the Democrats about to obtain a 60-seat majority in the U.S. Senate. But an adverse Supreme Court can stop and undo a lot of that. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, hey, Sotomayor has a wonderful record Why would you be so bent on thinking she doesn't deserve to be on the Supreme Court just because of one decision? Well, I think when it comes to the First Amendment and considering the battering that it's been under, you know, there's a special on PBS that starts tonight, that is Monday, June 29th, on the serious trampling of the First Amendment. It's been going on for years. I actually gave a keynote address at Fordham University a few years ago called The Flouting of the First Amendment, and I'll be writing a book about that one of these years. So I think it's an extremely important topic. I wrote a few blog pieces about it. One of the things that I found especially interesting is that many of the people who came to Sotomayor's defense said things like, well, Avery Doninger wasn't telling the truth when she wrote in her off-campus blog that the school was canceling the event. Other supporters of Sotomayor said, well, you know, she didn't write the decision. That's true, by the way, Judge Livingston did. But because she didn't write the decision, the Sotomayor supporters said, she is not responsible for the decision. Well, It seems to me that if she didn't agree with the decision, Sonia Sotomayor could have certainly dissented. But in any case, I thought it would be a good idea to get Avery Doninger herself and her mother, Lauren Doninger, who have fought this fight for the First Amendment and student rights, at this point on a lower-level federal court than on Sotomayor's appellate court, I thought it would be a good idea to ask them what they thought of what was happening. I think it's very likely that Sotomayor will be on the U.S. Supreme Court, but I also think it's good for the world to know what exactly happened in this decision. So you're going to hear a 50-minute interview with Lauren and Avery Doninger, and The interview will begin with my asking Avery Doninger some questions about how this whole thing started. Then we'll proceed to talk to Lauren Doninger, Avery's mother, to hear how the case proceeded through the courts. And then we'll come back at the end of the interview with a few final questions for Avery. 
Now, because this is such an important podcast, I didn't want to interrupt any of this interview with our commercials or our promos, but I will be playing some promos and some ads for new sponsors at the very end of this podcast after these interviews are over. Well, I'm delighted to have Avery Doninger join us. Uh, Welcome to Light on Life Through, Avery. Thanks. And uh, why don't we just start at the beginning for you. Most of our listeners know most of what happened uh, with your case and your situation, but I think it would be uh, valuable for people to hear in your own voice just how this whole series of events started back in your high school. All right. Well, it all started uh, my junior year of high school at the end of the year. Um, I was 16, and I had been I'm very involved in my um, school as a part of my uh, the student council, and as a part of student council, we planned this big event called Jam Fest. It's kind of like a battle of the bands type event. Um, we had been planning it for months, and um, it kept getting postponed because um, the auditorium we were going to play have the event in was under construction and wasn't quite finished yet. Um, finally, it was finished though. We were really excited we could have it, but um, a couple days before the event. We were told that, you know, we wouldn't be able to have it in the auditorium anymore because it was brand new and, um, you know, it was the uh, it was the taxpayer's auditorium and we can just use it um, whenever. And so we, um, we were really upset about this because the event was only a couple days away. And so me and a couple of other student council members went down to the office to talk to my, super, or my principal, uh, Ms. Niehoff. And she was actually not there and would be in meetings all day, and she'd be back. She would be back around, you know, 1230, um, just briefly, and we could come meet with her and to set up a meeting for later. So because I had a study hall during that time, um, you know, we said that we decided that I would go down and just set up a meeting for after school with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, you know, just couldn't believe it. At the time, we really wanted to be able to, we wanted to do something. And because they had told us over and over again that this was, you know, the taxpayer's auditorium, the community's auditorium, um, then we decided we, we would get their permission. So we went to the computer lab, um, and we wrote up this really nice email just kind of explaining to the taxpayers and the community, um, you know, what was going on, why we want, why this event was so important to us, and, you know, that we really wanted their support to make this event happen. So to please call, you know, the central office, main office, to, um, you know, tell them that you want the event to happen. So we sent out this, like, chain email, and um, afterwards we just, you know, went to class, and at 12.30 I went back to meet with my principal and just, just set up a meeting for later on. But as soon as I saw her coming down the hallway toward me, she looked just really upset. She was, you know, kind of doing an angry walk that my mom does, <laughs> um, you know, just really upset, and takes my arm and says, you know, you know, I need to talk I need to, talk to you right now, and drags me into her office, and, um, you know, I just happen to be, like, the unlucky person who... She bumped into right when she was angry, and um, I guess she said she's really angry with me and saying, you know, central office is being flooded with all these calls, and we you know what's going on, and um, and I told her we sent the email, and she said, well, as of right now, Jampus is canceled, and so it was my belief at the time that you know, Jampus is canceled. We've been planning this event for months and months, and you know, the last minute they cancel it. You know, tickets are already sold, bands. Um, Bands are going to be just really upset, and um, you know we 
I just could, I couldn't believe it. And she said, well, you know, you know, if you, maybe, maybe if you play your cards right, you know, we'll be able to have it at a later date, but you know, as of right now, it's canceled. And so I was really upset with it, you know, I had this information, I left her office really upset, and I, I told a few of my friends, but I didn't, you know, wasn't going spreading this around the school yet, because I just, I just couldn't believe it. And so so that let's, night, just, let's just stop there for a second because I, I want to uh, underline that point for our listeners that uh, the principal told you explicitly that the event would be canceled. Those were her words. Mm -hmm. she, she said that, you know, maybe they could change their mind at a later date. That's always a possibility when something is canceled. But she didn't say it would be delayed, postponed. It, she said canceled. And... Uh, I think it's important that uh, people know that uh, because I found in response to some of the discussions that I've been uh, taking part in th that some people think, well, the event was never canceled in the first place. The fact is even postponing the event would have been an aggravating thing for you as a student. But the point here is that you didn't make this up, that the event was canceled. You were told that the event was canceled. Right. Okay, so continue with your story. So um, that night, I was I was really upset about this, and that night I went home and I went on this blog that I had written in, you know, a couple years earlier, but I hadn't written in a long time, and I just, you know, vented, and I said, um, my first line, the first sentence of it was, um, Jamfest is canceled due to the douchebags in central office, and, you know, obviously not the best choice of words, but um, the overall message of the rest of the blog was kind of just, you know, advocating for the event to happen, trying to get people to, you know, rally people and get people to say, like, look, this is what's happening and um, it's important that we stand up for ourselves and, you know, I really want this event to happen. And um, it was, you know, obviously not the best choice of words, but, you know, it was it, no, no, nothing, none of the blog got back to the school at all and it wasn't um, found until I think about a month later. So, so, again, just to be clear about this uh, part of, of what happened, this is something you wrote at home, not at home. on school equipment, right? Nope, this was at home at 9.30 at night on okay. my home computer. And uh, not only was it at home, written on your home computer, it was not something that was put on some kind of school blog. It was something nope. that was put on your live journal blog. And, of course, you know, blogs could be private. In your case, the blog was readable by other people on the web, which is the way almost all blogs are. But, mm -hmm. but other than the fact that the, the subject of your blog post was about what was happening at school. This really had nothing whatsoever to do technically at, as far as the blog post was concerned with your school. It was completely something you were doing off uh, school premises. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and so continue. Well, I can't be sure how many people read it, but I'm only sure that three people read it because there were three comments on the blog from, you know, three different friends. But um, the next day... Um, I was called into the office with, um, you know, a couple of the couple people who wrote that, sent out that separate email, that email that we sent out, the chain email to all the taxpayers. And we got called into the office and everything was resolved. We um, set a new date for JamFest and um, we were not punished at all for that email we sent out and that was that. And so we moved forward. And um, the, the blog was... You know, nothing that was, I just forgot about it. That was, nothing ever happened with that. 
And, and, then, and, about, let me just, and let me just point out here, you know, from a communications standpoint, this blog that you wrote is almost the same as if you were sitting at home, relaxing with a few of your friends and talking. Yeah. And it's almost as if someone had come by, and I know you're going to tell us how the school found out about it, but it's almost as if somebody came by and was eavesdropping uh, or not, maybe just, you know, walking by and heard what you said. And this is, you know, what the school got so upset about. But why don't you tell us how, how that happened? Well, about um, a month later, I got called into my principal's office. And this is a week before the elections. I was running, I was nominated and going, planning on running for class secretary for the fourth time. Um, and um, I was told, you know, my principal took out um, a copy, a hard copy of my blog with the word douchebag underlined in red pen and said to me, do you remember writing this? And she talked to me a little bit, and she said, well, you know, there are three things that you need to do. You need to tell your mother, you need to apologize to the superintendent, and you need to, um, we're asking you to step down from all leadership positions and not run for the next year. And I said, well, I will do the first two things, but I'm, you know, I'm still going to run next year. Um, being, you know, class secretary, doing it for, you know, the three earlier years, and it was really a um, big part of, my college resume and important to me and what I wanted to, you know, preparing for, you know, things I wanted to do in the future. And um, so it's just a really, I, you know, I can believe she asked me to do that. And then she said, when I refused to do it, she said, um, you know, well, we are going to administratively remove you from all leadership positions and you're not allowed to run for class secretary next year. So um, I was pretty upset by this and I went home and I told my mom, as she asked, and my mom was, you know, she was upset that I would use that kind of language because she knows I'm, you know, capable of using more sophisticated language. But on the other hand, she kind of was taken aback by, you know, this was something I did at home on my home computer and never got back to the school. So, you know, or disrupted, disrupted the school in any way. So she felt it was not the school's place to punish me in any way. It was, you know, her right as a parent to take care of it. And punish me in any way that she saw fit, not the school's. Okay. So we're going to actually hear from your mother now in her own words about what happened. She's going to pick up the story. And I want to welcome to the Light On, Light Through podcast, Lauren Doniger, who is Avery Doniger's mother. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. My pleasure. Why don't we start where this whole series of events started for you? Your 16-year-old daughter came home from school one day, and why don't you pick it up from there? Uh, she came home uh, about a week before the class election. She had been the class secretary for three years, and she was a junior, and it was the election for her, her senior uh, to be class secretary for her senior year. Um, she came home and she handed me a hard copy of a printout of, of a blog she had written on April 24th. This was, I think, May 17th, 2007. And she said, Miss um, Niehoff, that was the principal, told me that I had to show you this, um, that I had to apologize to Mrs. Schwartz, who was the superintendent, and I had to step down from leadership positions and I can't um, run for class secretary. Um, she showed me the blog. The word douchebag was underlined twice in red. And uh, I knew right away what the event was referring to because I'd recalled um, 
about it was about a month earlier, a little shy of a month earlier, when uh, there was uh, dust up over Jam Fest, something that Avery had been very actively involved in planning, and uh, they weren't able to use the auditorium on the date it was scheduled, and they found this out only four days before the event. So I looked at the blog, and um, I let Avery know that uh, I wasn't. I wasn't impressed with her word choice, and I also wasn't impressed with her punctuation or spelling, but um, uh, I, I, I liked the uh, activist sort of nature of it and um, was immediately sort of struck by the idea that the principal was going to punish her for something she had done at home. It was time and date stamped. I, I knew that it was 9.30 at night, although I had not previously seen the blog, Um and I went in immediately to, to see the principal, and she was adamant about the punishment. And one of the things that concerned me right away was uh, she was punished on a Thursday. Monday was Memorial Day. The election was on Friday. There was absolutely no time for any nuanced reflection or to spend some time thinking about the broader implications, which I immediately encouraged her to think about. I, The first time I met with her, I told her I believed that this was a First Amendment issue. Um, this, this was the uh, school administrator that you told us. The principal. To. That's right. right. The, principal. I, the very first meeting, I said, I, I, I think I said something like, have you read the Bill of Rights? Avery's in civics right now. This is a First Amendment issue. I don't like what she said, but I will deal with that. It happened at home at 930 at night, and the principal insisted that um, extracurricular activities are a privilege, not a right, and they could be withdrawn essentially at their, for whatever reason, they decided to withdraw them. Um, she said that she gave me some uh, material from a, a book about uh, extra student rights and extracurricular activity, um, and she said that Avery should just forget it, and I told her that I was going to have Avery post the Bill of Rights on her blog, that that's what I thought Avery should do, post the Bill of Rights on her blog. Um, so then uh, apparently somebody from inside the school gave an anonymous tip to the Waterbury Republican American newspaper, and um, I continued to try to reach out to the principal. I suggested other punishments that I could be on board with, while maintaining that it was up to me to punish her for something that happened at home. I suggested that they not let her go to Jamfest or that they not let her help uh, organize it next year, but that it was not appropriate for them to punish her, particularly in a way that would never end. I mean, it's the class officers that speak at graduation that that um, plan uh, reunions. It was the punishment that was absolutely never going to end. Um, so... Uh, there was no, it was, there was no movement. I asked to speak with the superintendent. I asked to meet with the board of ed member, and it was immovable. All right, so let's stop there for a second. So at, at this point, uh, the school superintendent, the principal, seem to be ignorant of the First Amendment, or if not ignorant, at least unwilling to consider its application to this specific incident. At that point, it was only the principal, not the superintendent. Okay. Although I had appealed to the superintendent, I had not yet spoken with her. Okay. And what was the result of your appeal to the superintendent? Um, that 
Ms. Nehoff's punishment was not going to change. I could come in and talk to her about it. And then, of course, there was no time because it, the Thursday, then Monday, the holiday, and then the election Friday. Um, and eventually, after the fact, I went in in June, and um, Avery and I went together and met with the principal and the superintendent, and um, they they were absolutely immovable. I had requested uh, to speak with the Board of Ed member, but there wasn't one available, and they were absolutely immovable. I gave them printouts of, of similar cases, um, and that you know, not the actual um, legal documents, but um, things that had been. I googled it and saw, saw news articles and so forth, and they were immovable. Nothing okay. was going to change. So it it. Uh it seems to me, and I, I can't help mentioning this, um, and you know, you never know when someone will be listening to this podcast. It's being recorded now in the middle of June 2009, but who knows? It could be listened to five, ten years from now. In fact, I certainly hope so. But uh, this is a time when right now in Iran, there are two things going on which uh, show what happens when societies and governments ignore the First Amendment, and, and the interesting and disquieting connection between that and respect for the democratic process in elections. Because in Iran, you have an election which apparently was the result of some at the very least, suspicious activity, and uh, at the very least, uh, people are calling for a recount, maybe even a, a completely new election. Uh, and at the same time, the mullahs in Iran are cutting off reporters, preventing people from learning about what's going on in Iran, which is precisely what the First Amendment here in the United States is supposed to protect. So uh, obviously, in Avery's case, you know, no police came by and arrested her or did anything even remotely like that. But, but still in all, it is disquieting to see what happens on the other side of the world when there is a disrespect for freedom of communication and the results of elections, both of which figured in Avery's case. So let, let's move on to the, to the next uh, step. So it became clear to you and Avery that you weren't going to get much rationality or fair judgment from the school system. And we, we live, of course, in a country uh, of laws and what uh, reasonable people are supposed to do when they feel they have been mistreated or treated wrongly, certainly by a school system, is go to the courts to get some kind of redress. So why don't you tell us what your next step was? Uh, I just would like to add one other element, particularly uh, in relation to the issue in Iran uh, and the election process, the democratic process. Uh, the day of the student elections, a number of Avery's friends had made T-shirts that said Team Avery on the front and support LSM. That was the high school freedom of speech in the back. And they were confiscated. And uh, Avery, uh, Avery had one in her hand, and, and she quickly hit it, the sort of the – basic chilling effect. She hid the t-shirt. She was afraid of the repercussions. Um, so there are all these sort of erosions of the basic democratic process for students who are supposed to be learning how to be the next generation. This was a group, group of students who were voting in the next presidential election, and they were not able, even though they were in a required civics class, were not able to practice basic democracy. 
um, it, it turns out that Avery was um, won the a plurality of the votes via write-in, uh, but we weren't able to get those ballots, and we had to do a freedom of information request. The school uh, demanded that she make an appointment, would not make public records available. Uh, so there are a whole series of sort of petty dictatorship in Region 10. So we did um, file for injunctive relief um, with um, – and it was heard in a district court under Mark Kravitz. There was a lengthy uh, multiple-day hearing. Um, there were multiple students who testified. Avery testified for about four hours. Um, the students were all, they weren't sequestered, but they weren't allowed to hear one another's testimony. And essentially, um, I mean, what we were uh suing for was injunctive relief. It wasn't, we weren't looking for damages. We were saying Avery needs to be able to give her speech for as the electoral speech. There needs to either be a new election or there needs to be a way for her to serve in the, in the position that she actually won a plurality of the votes. Uh, the, the lower court, Mark Kravitz, he uh, essentially disbelieved Avery and believed that there was a specific contradiction um, Avery uh, had been told by Miss Niehoff, uh, Avery's report consistently, that on April 24th, Miss Niehoff said, well, as of now, Jamfest is canceled. She was very angry because a group of students, Avery among them, had sent an email to uh, community members, to taxpayers, saying, uh, we're not able to have Jamfest. We would like your support. Um, we, you know, we've only been given four days' notice. And... The result of that email uh, was that there were some phone calls and some emails into the superintendent who apparently spoke to Ms. Niehoff, who then ran into Avery and was you know, upset and relaying that the superintendent was very angry. So um, there was some sort of dispute about whether or not Jamfest was canceled. Um, the testimony was very consistent that there was a belief that it couldn't if it couldn't happen in the auditorium on that date, that it, wa- that it wasn't going to happen. And Avery specifically had been told, it's canceled, and if you play your cards right, maybe, you know, and apologize to the superintendent for the email. And in Avery's blog, she did write, uh, as of now it's canceled, and later in the uh, blog she wrote, in the least chance that we can have it, it will be in May. So there was this focus on she spread false information really disregarding the entirety of the blog where um, she made additional comments. So uh, we... Well, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned that because, as you know, I've written uh, several blog posts about what happened with Avery and, and in particular being very critical of Judge Sotomayor, who we'll get to in a few minutes. And some of uh, Judge Sotomayor's defenders have been very quick uh, to come on and comment in response, actually not only to my blog, but other people who've been making the same points, that Avery had been lying in her blog. And actually, when you read the full explanation of what actually happened uh, on on several other blogs, it becomes clear that, uh, as you said, that uh, as far as Avery was informed, the Jamfest event had been canceled. So it's amazing to me how a judge's defenders will jump in with misleading information, but I guess that's human nature. You just can't expect anything close to perfection in this world. 
Well, the taking things out of context really troubled me. The materials that the principal had given me that said uh, extracurricular activities are a privilege, not a right. The next sentence is, but students can't, something to the effect of, but students can't be barred in a way that would compromise their constitutional rights. So it's the same idea of sort of taking things out of context and cherry picking the the elements that um, support your case. So we were denied by the lower court and okay. uh, appealed to the Second Circuit and uh, had a very lengthy hearing. It was the last case of the day when it was heard, and it was um, Judge Sotomayor, uh, Judge Livingston, and Judge Preska that heard the case. Okay, let's just stop there for a second because one of the things that's also been flying around out there in response to criticisms of Judge Sotomayor and her decision on this case, is that because another judge, in this case Livingston, wrote the actual words of the decision, that somehow this wasn't Sotomayor's decision, not her responsibility. I mean, obviously, any reasonable person would have to acknowledge that if Sotomayor felt really strongly about this or or disagreed at all with Livingston's decision, she should have written a dissenting opinion. Uh, but she didn't. She, she joined in the decision. So I, I think it's important for our listeners to get a sense of how involved was Sonia Sotomayor in the actual hearings. And if you could tell us something about that, I think it would be very useful. Well, she, um, it was a, a very uh, lively and engaged debate between uh, our attorney, well, Avery's attorney, John Schoenhorn, and the school's attorney, um, the school district's attorney. And uh, Judge, I, I I don't know if I, I don't know if there's one, a lead judge in this mm-hmm. sort of circumstance. And Judge Sotomayor um, seemed to me to be in that role. She was very. She asked a lot of questions. She presented scenarios. I I liked her. I she reminded me of a University of Connecticut professor uh, and an, also a New Yorker, Regina Barreca. Um, she just she reminded me of her. She seemed. Um, sort of quick-witted and uh, seemed aware of the case. I wasn't, I thought that there were a few times that um, the judges were maybe riffling through their papers and that there were elements that I, I thought maybe this, they had the sequence out of order and I, I, I was, you know, biting my tongue because it was hard to tolerate hearing the sequence being out of order because the, the sequence of events really mattered, and Avery being spoken to separately from what happened with the four students earlier in the day mattered. Um, at one point, uh, they, there was a discussion about the site RateMyProfessor.com and whether that was um, an appropriate site and whether students had the right to engage a site like that. And Judge Preska, we, we realized after the fact that Judge Preska thought that we were talking about that we, the lawyers, had mentioned that it was rapemyprofessor.com. That's R-A-P-E, my professor. Right, that's what she had heard and not rate my professor. So that was concerning that um, she asked, well, is it okay to say that, rate my professor? And and, uh, John Schoenhurst said, well, yes, because he was talking about rate my professor. Um, so that was alarming. I, uh, when I came away from the the Second Circuit, I I felt hopeful. 
I thought that um, I thought that we were going to get injunctive relief, <laughs> um, but that was obviously not what happened. No, and and what the appellate court could have done is overturned the district court's decision and given Avery the injunctive relief that she sought. And again, I think it's important to bear in mind that this is what a democratic judicial process is supposed to be about. The the difference between a civilized society and an uncivilized society is that when, when you live in a civilized society and you are mistreated, you don't take the law into your own hands. You go to the judicial system. And let's face it, very often the lowest level of judges are no geniuses and they stay at that level maybe their whole careers. I mean, there could be some great judges who will then rise in the ranks. But lower court judges make mistakes all the time, misunderstand things all the time, and it's the appellate court, even before the Supreme Court, that is the next place that someone would take his or her case if they thought they were being mistreated. Uh, By the way, this thing about rape my professor, I mean, you know, it's laughable on the one hand, but it, it really boggles the mind that a judge on an appellate court could be so, you know, out in left field doesn't even express it, that they could think that there would be a site called Rape My Professor. I mean, you just have to wonder what world, you know, what planet around Alpha Centauri does that judge happen to live on? But anyway, to, to get back to the case it's clear from what you were saying that Judge Sotomayor did play a major role in this hearing that was before this appellate court. And although she didn't write the decision, she clearly was completely versed in what the issues were and nonetheless uh, went along with the decision to support the lower court's decision. So I assume you must have been uh, disappointed when you heard that Sotomayor was on the short list of possible people to uh, ascend to the Supreme Court, and even more so when President Obama announced that he was selecting her. Uh, our, uh, s- some of the bloggers who've been interested in the case, Alden Hines from Orient Lodge and, and um, Andy Tebow from Cool Justice and John Schoenhorn, had mentioned when we were going into the Second Circuit that they uh, thought that um, Sotomayor would be on a short list uh, for the Supreme Court. Uh, so I, I was aware of that. And then when the the suitor announced his retirement, um, uh, well, before that, I before there was a vacancy, maybe even before the election, I had written an email to uh, Senator Leahy and talked about um, my concern. Uh, about uh, Judge Sotomayor, um, so I guess I, I, I guess I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, I've, I've been disappointed at every step along the way with this process in, in a way that's been so shocking to me. I think that when you, uh, I think that I, like many Americans, have taken uh, rights for granted, and then when they're violated, it it is it, it just feels so surprising, and then to not be able to have any redress and, and have it repaired is surprising. Um, so I don't know. I think that maybe uh, Judge Sotomayor will get another pass at this case. You know, we're certainly not done. Uh, we're, I think that it, it is a case that could end up at the Supreme Court, and um, I think she's 
she'll get another shot at it. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're pursuing it. Let, let me just uh, mention about writing to government officials. One of the things we still laugh about in our family is uh, shortly after my wife and I were actually just first going out in the late 1960s, before we were even married, she wrote a letter to Richard Nixon, uh, basically uh, angrily calling him to account for not getting our troops out of Vietnam, which is what he had said he would do uh, in the 1968 election. Well, she got a letter signed, if not by Nixon, his name was signed on it, and you know what the letter said? We really appreciate your support. Thank you. It's good to know there are Americans out there like you who support the president. So, oh, my goodness. You know, writing letters, yeah. you know, sometimes, and in fact, most of the time, don't have the kind of results that you see in movies. But a couple of things, just so our, our listeners can know what to look forward to. You are definitely pursuing this and taking this to the next step to the Supreme Court of the United States. Well, we're not at the point where we can yet go to the Supreme Court. We were granted a trial on the T-shirt issue. We were denied a trial on the larger First Amendment issue. Uh, the defense appealed the T-shirt decision, and we appealed the larger uh, issue. Um, and now both appeals are again in the pipeline to the Second Circuit. We are hoping that uh, they can be that both issues can be heard together, that we, we won't have to have two separate trials. Uh, but if we're denied, the if the Second Circuit upholds the Circuit Judge Kravitz's uh, decision to deny mm -hmm. the, the trial, we will absolutely go immediately and to the to the Supreme Court um, and, and request a hearing. And I think that this um, will be a, a could be a, a very important case in terms of determining what student speech rights are in the age of the internet. One of the things that um, that Judge Kravitz had said in, in one of his decisions was that uh, now with the click of a button, off-campus speech can become on-campus speech, um, which you know maybe shows a it's just fear of speech. I think that, you know, any speech could be potentially dangerous or inflammatory if, you know, kids have an opinion. And this, it was such political speech. It was, you know, what a 16-year-old cared about, but she was looking for um, some change from a government official. They were looking to use a public space. It, it wasn't um, like the Wisniewski kid where it was the, the IM that showed the gun there and the head being shot. It, it, it wasn't even, uh, although I have grave concerns about what happened in the Morris case, there wasn't a drug message. This was clearly, specifically political speech on the issues that a 16 year old cared about, uh, that a citizen cared about. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really disturbed me in the Sotomayor and Livingston, etc. decision. I guess Livingston wrote these words, but again, Sotomayor certainly didn't object to them, that, yes, they understood that there was a First Amendment, and they understand that the government should support people's right to communicate, and, and certainly a school interfering with that was a serious issue. But what guided their decision, so what they think is more important, is teaching students a proper respect for authority. And that's really extremely chilling 
not to mention the fact that it's totally inconsistent with what people like Thomas Jefferson saw in our society as, as being necessary. You know, Jefferson said, if, if we could have a, a world, if I had a choice in which there was a world with governments and no newspapers, or a world in which we had newspapers and no governments, I would, without hesitation, choose the latter. That's what Jefferson, one of the uh, framers of the First Amendment, wrote and thought. And yet here we have, in the 21st century, an appellate court telling the world that what students need to learn in school is a proper respect for authority. Actually, if you look again at what's going on in Iran, those people are showing a proper disrespect for authority. And that is really the basis of the democratic system, not appealing to authority, uh, which is actually one of the fundamentals of propaganda. You know, I teach a course in propaganda and persuasion at Fordham University every summer, and the, the, the prime propagandistic approach is an appeal to authority. And what that's designed to do is to get people not to think, but just follow what the authority is saying. So I think it was very disquieting to, to see that. Avery has a bumper sticker on her car that says, dissent is the highest form of patriotism. And one of the things that has troubled me about this whole process, including the comments about teaching proper respect for authority, it, it Oh, Avery was 16, and her words, uh, I would have liked as her mother to have seen her words be more refined, um, more sophisticated. But the heart of what she was doing and the heart of what the kids were doing when they sent the email that nobody was punished for the email, but the heart was that they were being, they were engaging as citizens. They were engaging uh, the lessons of their civics class, and and that was intolerable to people. And I thought that it was really a missed teachable moment. There have been other schools in Connecticut that have invited Avery to come in and talk about um, the the process that she's been through and, and the judicial system. Uh, and, and I thought that they could have said, geez, it's great that you care so much about this. It's great that you're an engaged student who uh, cares enough to get upset when things don't, don't go well. Uh, how can we work on... The, the, maybe the way that you framed this petition to people. Uh, but instead it was, you know, shut up, kid. It, it was really the message and be respectful um, it, and not think for yourself. There's a, quite a premium, in my observation, quite a premium on being sheep, being lemmings. And I, I think that it, it, it's, it is a grave concern that if we have students who don't know how to um, – to, to fight for a political change. That's more worrisome than fresh language. Absolutely right. And by the way, I should tell our uh, listeners that Lauren has a Ph.D. that she earned from a school of education. And in fact, Lauren, you teach uh, in a community college. So when, when Lauren talks about what kids should be taught, She's actually talking not just as a parent, which is very important, but also as a teacher and an educator herself and someone who has studied these matters. And, and I think that Avery is fortunate indeed to have a parent like you, and the, the cause of the First Amendment is fortunate to have someone like you. Let, let's just move to uh, conclude this part of our podcast with one or two final questions. If if you don't mind uh, answering this, I'm certainly interested in how 
these court appearances are being funded? Is your lawyer doing this pro bono, or are there funds that have been set up to support this, or are you paying it out of your own pocket, or all three? Perhaps you can tell us. It's a combination. We Essentially, uh, John Schoenhorn is essentially uh, doing this pro bono. I hope we win and he gets paid. Um, We uh, initially... um, uh, paid $5,000, and then we've paid the court fees. And uh, there was an event that was uh, organized called Poets and Writers for Avery. It was a free speech celebration, and a number of um, renowned uh, authors and poets spoke, including Wally Lamb. They read from their work, Rand Cooper. Uh, there were a whole list of people. Franz Dusky uh, spoke, and that raised some money. Um, and it, it really, I have really taken pause a number of times to even reflect on the fact that, you know, the $5,000 in the fees, you know, that's not, I'm a community college faculty. That It's not like, you know, I have all sorts of excess cash. I don't. But I was able to come up with that money. And I, I it troubles me how difficult it is to access, financially to access uh, the legal system. Uh, so, we, you know, we've had some support. Um, we're, you know, I'm, I have some anxiety about the fees that will come along again to go back to the Second Circuit. And I'm sure the fees will be extraordinary to go to the Supreme Court. Um, but we're going to continue to, um, you know, I try to nestle some funds away to, in preparation for it. Uh, but it's been a challenge. Are, are there addresses or email addresses or or uh, places that you can mention where people who want to uh, contribute to that funding can make contributions? Yeah, we'd be very grateful. There's uh, can go to the IOLTA, I-O-L-T-A, Fund for Avery Johninger, uh, care of John Schoenhorn. That's S C H O E N H O R N. And he's at 108 Oak Street in Hartford, Connecticut, 06106. And those types of contributions, your listeners probably would know this, that they are not tax deductible uh, mm-hmm. contributions. And we'd be very uh, appreciative. And I'm also, if, if, um, People are interested in this story. They're welcome to email me. Uh, my email address is Lauren Doninger at Comcast.net. Good, and we're going to put all those addresses and email contacts in in the show notes. Uh, but let me just say about what you just said. It is really sobering to think that if Avery had not been your daughter, meaning the daughter of someone who at least had $5,000 in in some kind of discretionary cash, uh, had not been the daughter of someone who clearly is well-versed in the First Amendment, then Avery and her rights would have been totally trampled and and no one might well have known about it. And uh, it's it's disquieting to think that who knows how many times that's already happened and and might be happening right now. Uh, by the way, if this case does get to the Supreme Court, and I certainly hope it does, chances are Sotomayor will have to recuse herself, uh, which is both good and bad, because, again, Sotomayor is replacing Souter, yeah, who was you know, basically a, a great supporter uh, of the First Amendment. And if Sotomayor recuses herself, then you have an eight-person court with five justices who have shown no disposition at all to supporting the First Amendment. So we'll just have to see what happens. But on the other hand, uh, anything is possible. 
I want to thank you, uh, Lauren, and we'll continue uh, to be in touch. Best of luck with your case, and I think the whole world will be watching what happens with this. Thank you very much. And Avery, I have one or two final questions for you. Why don't you tell us now what you've been doing since then? Uh, the, the decision came down last year. That was, would have been the end of your senior year at the high school. You did graduate. What have you been doing this past year? Well, I've, I applied to colleges, um, but I ended up deferring admissions to school, and I took a year off to join AmeriCorps and Triple C. Um, National Civilian Community Corps, um, and I've been doing, I'm based out of Denver, and I'm doing ser- the government service program, and I'm doing service work all over the country, so um, my first project was in Austin, Texas, and I worked um, on disaster relief with FEMA for Hurricane Ike, and then I worked, stayed in Denver, and I worked at an elementary school in a low-income area, and we did, um, we were kind of like teacher's assistants and um, helped with um, getting the kids' literacy scores up. Um, then I went to New Orleans and I worked for Habitat for Humanity. And um, now I am here in Brooksville, Mississippi, working on a national wildlife refuge. So it's been quite an adventure, but I'm heading to school next year. That, that sounds very exciting. Do you have any inkling as to what you want to do when you finally get finished with all of your education? Yeah, I, de- I, I think I definitely want to get into um, nonprofit management. Uh, so I'm not really sure what, you know, program or but you know, definitely non-profit profit management. So there's no chance that you may go on to become a great constitutional lawyer. And, uh, <laughs> well, I don't so, think so. Well, you never know. I mean, I, and I just want to say that uh, it's, of course, at this point totally unclear as to whether the case will be heard by the Supreme Court of the United States, and if so, whether the decision will go in your favor or not in your favor. Uh, but I just want you to know that as far as the world is concerned and as far as, you, you know, your role in this, it doesn't matter at this point whether you win or lose. You were very courageous. You didn't take this punishment and just say, okay, I'm going to turn the other cheek. You stood up for your rights, and you and your mother deserve an enormous uh, amount of credit. And win, lose, or draw from here on in, I think that everyone in the world and, and in this country who values freedom of expression will appreciate what you did. So you shouldn't feel that based on the negative court decision, it was all you know a waste of time because sometimes even when decisions go the wrong way, they stir up public opinion and public focus. Have you, by the way, been interviewed anyplace else? Has the media, I know it's been over a year, was there at the time much media interest in this, or was it, it was just primarily bloggers? And uh, over the course, I've, yeah, there's been a lot of media attention. I've done um, interviews with uh, all sorts of news, sta- news stations, radio stations, um, just newspapers, bloggers. Um, there's been a lot of media attention. Um, it's kind of slowed down when, um, but when you know the next decision or anything, we hear anything else, and there's always more calls and ask for interviews and stuff like that. All right. Well, listen, I and I'm sure many other people are going to be watching the progression of this case very, very closely, 
And whatever happens again, thank you for standing up for the First Amendment and actually also for the rights of minors and the rights of students. All of those issues really were significant in your case. And I wish you the best of luck, Avery, uh, in whatever you. you choose to do. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, I'm Paul Levinson of Levinson News Clips, and if you would like a review of your favorite television show, maybe 30 minutes to an hour after the show has finished airing on television, and a review that's not going to take up much of your time, just four or five minutes, you want to go to Levinson News Clips. That's right, I have reviews of 24 Lost Heroes. Battlestar Galactica, I'll be doing something for Caprica, that's for sure. Californication, Wired, The Tudors, everything. And you can get them really within an hour after the show has been broadcast for the first time, sometimes even a little faster. So that's L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-N-E-W-S-C-L-I-P-S dot com. Levinson News Clips. Come on, you know you want to do this if you're in a class somewhere in a boring office and you're thinking about that episode of Lost. You can do more than think about it. Just go to Levinson News Clips and you'll hear some of my reviews and views of that show. Levinson News Clips. L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-N-E-W-S-C-L-I-P-S dot com. TV Reviews. And I want to thank Avery and Lauren Doniger again for this interview. You can find all the things that we talked about during the interview, Avery's paper, the place where you can get information about donating funds for the continuing court cases. All of those links will be on the lightonlightthrough.com webpage with this podcast. And you can get there just by typing L-I-G-H-T-O-N-L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. So come on over to the webpage and click on some of those links. And also, while you're there, I wanted to let you know about one of our new sponsors, You've certainly heard of them, Blockbuster Video. And you will find a place on the lightonlightthrough.com webpage where you can click on the Blockbuster link. And that will bring you to Blockbuster's webpage, and there will be a code that you will automatically have attached to your account when you click through that link. And listen to this, you'll get a 50% discount on your special membership fee with Blockbuster Videos, which gives you all kinds of benefits. And you know, one great advantage of Blockbuster is you can get the videos you rent, you can get the DVDs through the mail, or you can go into any Blockbuster video store and pick them up in person. So it's it's a great way to uh, see a movie or watch some television shows as well.
Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Sierra had always done everything for the thrill. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about the plot to save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Traveled 2,500 years back in time to ancient Athens to save Socrates from certain death, and now he doesn't want to come back with me. Oi, I'm gonna plot! All this and more in Paul Levinson's The Plots to Save Socrates. The Light on Light Through Podcast. That's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. You're going to hear from the night guy in Israel. For Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Cove. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The time in Israel is uh, two minutes after midnight. Your life is ticking away, moment by moment. Your coffee is getting cold. The time in Israel is... 41 minutes after midnight, and that's true, by the way. Hi there. Do you think this world is surreal enough? Join me for an exploration of the most surreal aspects of this world on a podcast gone horribly wrong. Interviews with creative people, 100-word stories, short essays, and much, much more. Find me at nightguy.guidefeed.com Come and join the fun, and may you never have to listen to music.
like you don't like did you hear the the locus award winning novel by paul levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel journey into the ancient world witness the wonder of ages past and join phil damato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel and subscribe today at patiobooks.com